I'm excited to jump into the text today. It's another challenging message and uh, excited what God can do as we interact with his word and how it shapes us, chips us, um, encourages us, and also even uh, prods us on. And uh, also thankful for some of the things I get behind here. Here's a note uh, from me. Um, there's some in this room who appreciate it. Jim, in case you get thirsty during our services, love you. Some, some of you guys will appreciate, appreciate that. Um, also got a nice gift today uh, from someone as a result of last week's message. You know, there's some Jesus harvest seeds, you know. <laughs> appreciate the, the love uh, from, from you. So when we eat these, you know how I love Jesus breath mints. We moved up. Jesus harvest seeds. Here they are. Just <laughs> I love people with senses of humor. And uh, so I'm excited about today, too, looking at this text and looking at what it means to be a second mile Christian. It's sometimes referred to, um, and I'm going to try to explain it today. I believe this is the context from which it comes from, and I believe that it's a great challenge to live our lives as second-mile Christians, being willing to go beyond the first mile, what we're required, and even our obligation and, and sometimes the duty that we have, moving to the second mile, which is, which is stands out, which is we're doing it because we desire to do so. And we need both miles. We need the first mile, but we need to move beyond the first mile to get to the second mile. And Jesus gives us some hard teaching, uh, again, on the Sermon on the Mount today. He continues to tell his disciples that we need to live differently. There should be something different about us. Someone who says, you know what, I don't want to live my life just in this first mile region. I want to move beyond that and live in such a way that I stand out. And not only stand out that I live differently. And I live here because I want to have the joy of the Lord that's in my heart. And I want to do this because I want to live for Christ. And I want to point people to Jesus. So there, there's this journey that we have. And we're going to see today where this comes from. That the first mile we're doing it because that's what we're supposed to do. The second mile Christian walks beyond that and says, I'm going to do this because out of the love I have in my heart for Jesus and the fact that not many people are willing to walk here, I'm just going to do it because I can do it. I have this freedom to walk in this mile and this journey with Jesus. When you watch someone that does beyond what's required, when you watch someone who does above the minimum standard, they get noticed. I mean, there's a lot of minimum requirements in, in businesses, in workplaces. When you buy something, you can get the minimum uh, software update or the recommended software update. Minimum does this much for you. The recommended does much more. It's the same way in our lives. It, the impact that we can have is much more over here than it is in the minimum. And those kind of things stand out. I remember when I was a, a high school senior uh, a long time ago in, in, in North Hagerstown High School, there was a guy that I still remember was in my graduating class, his name was Eddie Klein. And during, when I was a high school senior, they, you had four semesters, and so these four grading periods, you had to have a collective score of 240 to pass the subject. So you had to have a 60 or above. If you got a 59, it was an F and you were failing. So a D minus was the lowest grade you'd get, 60. And if you got a 60, you passed the class. It was collective too. It was, they took the number of percentage for all four marking periods. So if your total score at the end of that school year was 240 in that subject, then you passed. We had a guy that lived to the minimum standard. And he would often say, I'm, I'm going to get my 240. I'm 30 points away from my 240. And so that was his goal. Whole way through high school was to get the minimum. 
And I can remember his senior year, he was within grasp of that and realizing when he had the first three marking periods. And he would say, you know, I need, I need 59 on this test. If I get a 59 on this test, I get my 240. He was, we called him 240 Ed. You know, I often wonder what happened to 240 Ed. I wonder what, if he took that work ethic into the workplace, if he took it into his marriage, if he took it into life. But he was, he was, he was settled with just, you know, satisfied with just 240. You know, living his life in the minimum requirement. I suspect that if he took that through life, that, that there was things that he never accomplished that he was cut out to do because he settled. He just went with a minimum. That's where everyone stays. Now, let me give you a stark contrast to that. When Hannah was uh, in, in junior high school, she ran against a, a local school, uh, Westview. And so we would go there and Hannah ran track. And we, I remember one time in her eighth grade year, she was running track over there, track and field over there. And we went over and there was the track, the track meet was over. The last field event had taken place, a pole vaulting. And, and they were waiting for the teams to find out who scored the highest and what team scored the highest. And there was a girl there way back then by the name of Skylar Carpenter. And, I, and, and this girl has went on to, to become a state champion in her junior year, senior year, and became a nemesis literally for Fairfield High School for girls track. Darren would attest to that. Um, great, great athlete, incredible athlete. And, and, and uh, she was just went on and she got a, a scholarship for running. But I remember thinking about Thinking back to Skylar Carpenter in those early years, I remember one track meet, we were at Westview, it was junior, Candace Junior High, it was 7th or 8th grade. After everyone was finished, there was this girl out on the track running quarter mile intervals and her coach was timing her. After everyone was done stretching, doing the work, she was running and, and I remember she ran one and thought she just cooling down. Then she ran another one, then she ran another one, then she ran another one, then she ran another one. And it's like, and I remember saying, who is that? Who's that girl? And they want to say, I said, why is she running? The track meet's over. And I remember someone saying these words, I'll never forget, because she wants to. Because she wants to. So she was out there running after the track meet was finished so that she could get better at her craft, get, stand out and get, be above everyone else. Well, needless to say, she became a really, really good track star at Westview High School because she was willing to go the second mile. She was willing to do the extra to get there. And she stood out. She just didn't get there because she was do, willing to do the minimum, what the coach required. She went over and above on her own volitional will. The question Jesus is going to propose to us today, we can spend our lives in this first mile. We can spend it here and we can live here. And, and you know what? We can make a difference in our world. But he's going to ask us, are we willing to go the second mile? It's the second mile that makes a difference. It's when we walk in the second mile that we get noticed, not tension for ourselves, but to point people to Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles and we're going to go on a journey. I'm going to show you what Jesus had to say about this. And turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And we'll be glad, ushers will be glad to put one in your hand in the main or the link. But turn to Matthew chapter 5, first book of the, of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, and look at verses 38 to 48. Matthew 5, 38 to 48. Stand with me and we'll read this out loud together. Remember, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples and he's looking down at them and he begins to say these words. Let's read these, Matthew 5, 38 to 48. Ready, read. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard, and it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may have a seat. Jesus is going to ask the disciples, and he's asking us the same thing today. He's going to say, are you willing to go beyond obligation? Are you willing to go beyond the call of duty? Are you willing to do more than what the first mile Christians do? And so this this passage kind of opens up with that in mind. I also am also intrigued how Jesus opens up a lot of these passages, a lot of these paragraphs, and a lot of these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. He opens this one up the same way. Look back at verse 38. You have heard that it was said. In other words, this is what everyone in the street has been talking about. This is what's been passed down to you. This is what's been said in the Old Testament. This is what you know to be true. This is probably how you've lived your life. And if there were Pharisees there, this is how you lived your life. You've been checking it off. You're saying, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what people have been passing down. This is what's been said. But then Jesus said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth is what's been said. But... I tell you, and I can imagine the disciples sitting there, it's like, well, we know what's going on here, Jesus. We're not what we're supposed to do. And he says, Paul, let's think a minute. This is what you've heard. This is what's been said. But new, 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 I tell you something else. And so when I hear that, everything begins to change. And I have to ask this question even today as I read this. I try to go back to this, this century when Jesus was alive, when he's saying this, whose voice am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the voice that says, you have heard? that it was said, or am I going to listen to the voice of Jesus that says, but I tell you? Same question today. Are you going to listen to this voice? Or are you going to listen to the voice of Jesus that says, but I tell you? We have a choice to make. Will we live the way Jesus wants us to live? What voice are you listening to today? Every single day of our lives, we have to listen to someone's voice. We have to listen to someone said, do it this way or do it that way. We have to listen to Satan who says, do it this way. And God says, do it this way. We have to listen to a roommate that says, do it this way. Do we do it this way? We have to listen to a parent that says that we think we should do it this way. They say, do it this way. The question is, whose voice are you going to listen to right now? I tend to believe and wholeheartedly believe we better listen to Jesus' voice. So Jesus is about to take what they knew was a practice of them tweak it a little bit, move them to the second mile. He said, you spent your time here because it's been said, I want you to move here and walk and live. In other words, this is, there's a difference between a Christ follower who walks in the first mile and who walks in the second mile. Let's begin by asking that question. Where are we walking? Are we first mile Christians or second mile Christians? You might say, Jim, what are you talking about? Well, look back at the text here. Look at verse 41. We'll start there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41. Jesus said, if 
anyone forces you to go how far? What's it say? One mile. Go with them how many miles? Now, where does that come from? What does that mean? Why, what's, why all of a sudden are we running a race? I mean, Jesus, like, what does that mean to us? Well, here's some culture during this time. During this time, a Roman soldier that was walking on earth had the right and authority and could force you. If he saw you at any time on the street, especially Jewish people, he could walk up as a Roman soldier and say this, hey, carry my luggage, carry my gear, carry all that I have. So he could walk up to someone on the streets and it happened all over, all over the streets while Jesus was alive. A Roman soldier could come up to someone and say, carry my gear. And no matter what you were doing in that moment, you would take his gear, you would take his backpack, you would take his luggage, and you were forced to walk one mile with him. So if you were alive during this time, and these disciples were, if you were walking the streets, you could actually walk along the streets and say, wow, there's a Roman soldier. Look, there he is. Someone's carrying his luggage. You were demanded by law and forced. You had to quit what you were doing. If you wanted to go work in the garden, if you wanted to, to, to go to the market, if you were walking to the market, if you rose one morning and wanted to go to the cafe and a Roman soldier came up to you, you had to drop everything you were doing and you had to walk that mile because he forced you to walk that mile. So these disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly. Well, I know. I, maybe they had to, were forced to walk that mile. But Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, go the second mile because you're different. Run those extra laps because you're different. Don't settle for the 240. Move beyond the minimum requirements. Go to the second tier, the second mile that says, I'm going to do this just because I can and not because I'm forced to do it. I'm going to do this because I have freedom to do this. And you know what, dude? I'm going to walk with you. And I'm not doing it because you're forcing me. I'm going to walk this way with you. And I'm going to do it because I am in love with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that. And I'm doing this out of my own volitional will because I want to. Not because I am forced to. There is great freedom when you live your life as a second mile Christian. You are free to do as you please. Now you are going the second mile because you are different and you want to represent your God well. And so Jesus is saying, most people don't choose to go the second mile, but he's letting his disciples say, but I tell you, walk the second mile. But I tell you, go farther. But I tell you, stand out. But I tell you, be different. But I tell you, go. And so they're hearing this information. And I'm sure when they first heard that, well, I don't like walking with Roman soldiers and carrying their stuff. They're forceful. And they, 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 they call us names along the way. And, and so many, even during that time, would walk along and they would drop it. They knew exactly where one mile was and they'd drop it and that's it. And they would move on. And Jesus is saying, you get to the second mile, you look at him and say, hey, dude, you want another mile out of me? <laughs> I'm ready to go. And so what happens in those moments This soldier, this person that you go the extra mile is going to say, why are you doing that? And I remember asking that question. I watched Skylar Carpenter run around the track. Why is she doing that? Is is her coach forcing her? Is he one of those coaches that said, you got to do more, you got to do more, you got to do more? No, and I remember someone said, no, it's because she wanted to. Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. But here's the problem with all this. That first mile... Many of us do it just because we have to. But no one likes to do someone else's work. Do you like doing someone else's work? 
If you're like, well, I can't wait tomorrow to do someone else's work. In fact, I'm going to stay till like 10 o'clock, five extra hours, and I'm going to work for you just going home. Do you like doing someone else's work? And so our natural response to something like this is, I'm just going to do the minimum then. If I'm not getting paid for this, if I'm not on the clock, if I'm not getting recognition for this, then I'll do it because I have to do it. But then Jesus is saying, not only do that, but be willing to go stay longer, put more into it, rise above, raise the bar. And so these disciples were like, this is new teaching. They had never heard that before. By the way, no man that I know likes to be told what to do. Seriously, wives, does your husband like it when you say, honey, would you do that? You know, he might, he might do it. But deep down inside, he has those moments, if he's truly honest, like, you don't have to tell me to do it. I know what to do. And so there's this, yeah, you're right about that. I know I'm right about that. There's, there's, there's this truth to that. And so, and then from another man to tell another man what to do, most men rebel from that initially. Well, I'm not going to do it just because you told me to do it. So I'm, I'm out of here. And so Jesus is saying, not only do that, but do this and more. Go beyond the call of duty. The first mile is what's expected, Jesus is going to say to these disciples and us today. The second mile gets noticed, though. And the reality is this. Jesus says we should go farther than anyone else would be willing to go. Think about this for a second. The difference between first mile and second mile Christians. The first mile Christian, the traffic is congested. There's gridlock there. I'm doing this because, and there's road rage. People are angry, mad, and it's just full of traffic because we're doing it because we have to. And so you have these angry people almost doing it out of duty. And so there's this other sense of this controlling spirit permeates this highway. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic full of duty-only followers. By the way, there's nothing wrong with doing something because you're supposed to do it. The Word of God gives us many obedient calls. Just do it because Jesus said, do it. Just do it because it's a good discipline. Just do it because you know you need to do it. But Jesus is saying, move beyond that call of duty, above and beyond. By the way, the second mile is a whole different traffic. Have you ever been in a traffic jam where it's just congested and you're moving slowly and someone's trying to... Have you ever been where there's been two lanes and all of a sudden it goes to one lane or, th- or, or, or three lanes and all of a sudden it goes to two and then someone's coming on the outside and they're trying to get around you and you've been nudging up there and you see this car that, and you see them coming. What runs through your mind? Oh, just let them in. <laughs> How many times have you just got over the whole way blocking that traffic with your back end of your vehicle, and it just felt good. That's first mile congestion. That's the, you probably never done that. that. That's first mile congestion. Jesus says, move to that second mile. That's where it's free sailing. You finally get through the bumper to bumper traffic. You finally get where there's a positive attitude. You finally get where there's no road rage. It's like, no one's angry. Yeah, come on through. It's like, because you want to be there. You want to be there? Me too. Come on in. Well, come on around. It's because you're willingly doing it. And Jesus is saying, that's where we should spend our time so that it gets noticed. This area is deserted in a lot of Christian circles because most don't want to do more than what's minimum required of them. 
So these disciples are thinking and processing this. And Jesus is saying, our world is loaded with one-mile, first-mile Christians who dare not go an extra mile for their workplace, for their school, for their team, if it cuts into their time and they don't somehow get something more for themselves out of it. And sometimes when you live in that circle only, you get labeled as that guy or that girl. They only do the basic required minimum. And Jesus is saying, as Christ followers, man, there's so much freedom in this second mile. Go the extra mile. So how does he unfold this? Well, let's look back at the text. Look at verse 38 and 39. Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is one, I believe, one of the most improperly translated, mistranslated passages in the Bible. I think that this passage right here is probably mistranslated, in my opinion, and I can agree to disagree with people on this, but I believe this is one passage that's improperly translated over and over and over. And people will come back here and they'll say, well, that says eye for eye, two for two, turn your other cheek, someone hits you, this is what you do. I'm going to try to explain this in a way that I believe this should be properly translated. I can agree to disagree with people who translate this differently. First, what's this eye for eye and tooth for tooth? Go back to Exodus chapter 21. Let's go start there. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. This is what they heard. This is what they knew to be true. Exodus chapter 21 gives us this eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's called the, the law of retaliation or the lex talionis. It's, it's that you do whatever happens to you because you've done something to someone. You get paid back whatever is equal to what you did to someone else. Let's, let, let's turn back here to Exodus chapter 21 and verse 22. Let's read 22 to 24. See, If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. Verse 23. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Verse 26. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. Verse 27. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. And so throughout this passage are just this law of retaliation. If you've done this, then you can do this to me. If If this is what it costs you, then it should cost me something similar. The law of retaliation or lex talionis was put there, not purposely, initially it was put there so that when you came to do something to this person, it was protect this person from not getting more than what they deserved as a result of what they'd done. And so Jesus is looking out and he said, hey, you heard, it's been said, tooth for tooth, eye for eye. But I tell you, he says in Matthew chapter 5, do not resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also towards them. So if you've lost six months pay because you've been off work, then you collect $12,000. 
If somehow your Humvee has been, 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 been blown up, then you get a new Humvee. You make sure that happens. Now back to the slap thing. This is, a, this is a verse that often I believe is mistranslated. Let's read it carefully and see exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus said this again in verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What often happens when people read this context is that there it is. Someone wants to beat you up. Someone will hit you. Hey, don't defend yourself. Just turn the other cheek. Keep turning your cheeks. Now, let me tell you what this, I believe this should be translated. This has nothing to do with a defense mechanism. This has nothing to do with physical confrontation. This, by the way, a slap in the cheek, the King James says strike. That's where a lot of the confusion comes from. But if you look at the Hebrew word, the best translation is slap. Regardless, you strike someone with the palm of your hand. So during this time, the best way you could insult someone was not even so much as spitting on them, but during this time, you would take the palm of your hand and you would slap someone in the right cheek. They were standing in front of you, and so their right cheek was over here. You would take the palm of your hand. This was the most grievous act during Jesus' time. And if you witnessed that, that would be like someone coming up to you today and just spitting on you. And Jesus is saying this. If that happens, when that happens, turn the other cheek, throw your left cheek, let him come back and hit you again. Because this insult isn't worth getting all bent out of shape over. You're bigger than that. Go the second mile. Rise above the need to get even or strike back or to settle the score. However, what Jesus doesn't say here, I believe, is he doesn't, is just as important as what he does say. It doesn't say continue to turn your cheek. It says, if it happens, turn the other cheek. Now, last time I counted, I got two cheeks. So, bam, bam, insult, insult. He doesn't want us to be exploited or abused or walked all over, but he wants us to be willing to go at least to the second mile and say, you know what, this insult you have for me, I'm bigger than this because I know who my identity is in Jesus Christ, and I will not let this ruin my day or ruin who I am as a Christian. This is not a physical confrontation because he insults you. There is no reason to get even. But it doesn't say this, by the way. Now, this is where I believe the translation gets messed up. It doesn't say if someone punches you in the nose, hey, hit me in the mouth. It doesn't say if someone stabs you in the chest, hey, hit me on this side too. It doesn't say that. This was a custom during the day. A backhand slap was an insult. It doesn't say you shouldn't defend yourself. This passage has nothing to do about being passive. Nothing. Nothing to do about being passive. But what it does say is don't run from this confrontation. It's saying be willing to take an insult for the cause of Jesus Christ. Walk the extra mile. But don't let them exploit you, abuse you, walk all over you. And when you're insulted, walk the extra mile and say, you know what? Because I'm a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ and for the cause of Jesus Christ, I'm bigger than that insult. I won't let that freeze me into denying who I am in Christ. So these disciples are hearing that. By the way, this was hard news for them to hear. No one likes to be insulted. It's not like being insulted, it's like worse than getting punched in the nose sometimes. 
And so the fact is, Jesus is looking at them, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile. It's worth doing that. And why, you have to ask? Because it's different. It stands out. It's the second mile where traffic is different and it gets noticed. It's like, why is she continuing to run? It's not the 240 like, I'm just doing the minimum requirements. It's over and above and people will still are asking, what makes you tick? And in those moments, you get to point and deflect anything that comes towards you and the praise goes to your father, God. Read on with me. Jesus continues this on and they were already just in knots after hearing that. Verse 40. And if anyone wants to what you? Sue you. Take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Then he says, if anyone forces you one mile, go two. Then verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is often mistranslated too. And I think done in not on purpose. We see these, this verse and it talks about suing. And so we take in the first Corinthians passage and we take these other passages in. Let me just stay with this context and say what Jesus was saying here. He says this, if someone asks for your shirt and they, want, they demand your shirt, it says, give them your coat too. He says, if, if, if that's what they're asking for, he said, go over and above and give them your coat too. Keep in mind here, Jesus, what Jesus is saying here. He takes something very common. You gotta keep that in context. Something very common here. Something very common of a day, just like for us. Shirt, coat, t-shirt. In fact, for us it would be, hey, you can have my, my Adidas t-shirt. You know what? You can have my Nike swoosh jacket too. Just take it. I'll go the extra mile with you. It's a very common thing during this day. Don't get all bent out of shape over a shirt and a coat. Always value relationship over things. And once again, go the second mile. What he doesn't say here, I will say again, is just as important as what he does say. Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, give them your house. He doesn't say, give them your fortunes. He doesn't say, give them the most expensive possession you have just because you wanna wanna make things right. No, Jesus doesn't want us to be walked all over. He wants us to be willing to take a moderate loss, but not let someone walk over us. Stand for what is right, but you are not obligated to let them totally wipe you out. In other words, you stand up for what's right. If someone is trying to take this from you and sue this from you, and because, and you know that you're in the right, don't just give everything away. Stand up for what is right. Be willing to take a moderate loss, but don't let them wipe you out. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what I believe he's saying here. Let people have a space to air. This shirt, this coat, these shoes, these things that aren't real valuable, they, it's not worth getting all in knots about. Just give, them, give it away. In fact, give them a couple coats while you're at it. Jesus said we should show the world by our actions that we will go farther than someone who is a non-believer just because we can and we want to, not because we have to. That's the point that Jesus is stressing in this text. I believe that's what he's trying to drive. Go the second mile. Be willing to do more. Walk in the second mile where it's so much easier because you're walking in the freedom, and I'm just going to go do this because I can, not because I have to. By the way, when you begin to live here, life is so much more, more, more enjoyable. 
there is freedom. There's not bondage to law and, and all this stuff and these lists. You need these to get to here, though. Some don't even want to do this. Well, I'm not doing that just because he said do it or she said do it. Listen, the Bible is loaded with things that God requires and expects from us. But here he's saying, go here. I don't expect this from you, but this is how second mile Christians should live. Then he says in verse 42, give to those that ask. And look what he says. Look at it again, verse 42. He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let me just say this again regarding this. We do have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You see a need. You see someone who's standing with a sign. And you, we've set people out on the streets, our own, and put them on signs to see how people respond to that. And I've had this question proposed to me over and over again. Jim, so what should I do? Should I just give every time I see what if, you know, what if they're one of those professional people who just make like $50,000 a year that, you know, 20 minutes talks about? Should I give to them? Should we just not give at all because of a few bad apples? I often say this, listen to me, don't ever put yourself in a box where it says, I will never do this or never do that when, in fact, you might come to a situation where the Spirit of God's saying, empty your wallet. You see, if we walk in the Spirit, I'm convinced of this, and we have our ears towards heaven, we will know as best as possible whether or not God wants us to act and give. Part of the reason we don't know when to give is because our minds are so busy with other things that we're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, give to those that ask. Now, use wisdom. Don't give so much away that you put your own family at fault or that they, you can't provide for them, but be willing to give. Walk second mile. You know when that is. But don't lock yourself in and say, I will never do that when the Holy Spirit's saying, well, I want you to do it today. Be open to that. But Jesus said, be willing to give to those who ask. Why? Because it's different. Secondly, there should be evidence that we have been changed. You see, when we recognize the love and grace that, that's been given to us, it changes everything. And and, and if there's not a distinct difference between a born-again, redeemed follower of Christ and someone who isn't, then we have to ask the question, am I born again and redeemed follower of Christ? <laughs> I honestly believe that many people are asking that question today, even in this community. Because some look so much like the world that there's not a distinct difference. High school students, well, they all look the same. I didn't know you were a Christian. People in the workplace, wow, him? I didn't, I heard him this week. I didn't know her. Are you kidding? That supervisor? That teacher? That coach? The way he coaches? And the way she coaches? That, that mother that I hear in the stands watching her son play soccer? That's a Christian? Are you sure? I believe they're asking that question. I think second mile Christians get noticed though. And so Jesus said there should be a distinct difference in us and there should be evidence that we have been changed. Look what he says then about love and enemies in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He loves both. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even 
aren't not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your, only your own people, what are you doing more th- than others? Do you see that? What are you doing more than others? What are you doing more than others? And so he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, Eddie Ward, what are you doing more than others? He's asking that question. He's just looking out. Tanner Faust, what are you doing more than others? Second mile Christians, we should be doing more than others. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Pause. Let me just say something. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, extended grace to you, radically saved your soul, gives you life that's, that you should never have and I should never have on this side of eternity, has an eternity planned out for you, decided before the foundation of the world that you would be his kid, shouldn't that change how we live? Shouldn't it change how we live? The question is, is it changing how we live? If it isn't, Jesus is saying, then then you will never have the impact that you could have living here. The Bible reminds us this, that the world will know we are Christians by our love, not by our money, not by our possessions, not by our degrees, not by our accomplishments, not by our homes, not by our Facebook statuses, not by our knowledge, but our love for even the unlovable. Our lives are living proof that don't lie. And when you've been radically changed by grace and you understand what you've been saved from, you just live differently. And so he's looking down from this mountain and he's saying, there should be a difference in you. And I'm standing here today and I'm saying to Jim and I'm saying to us, there should be a difference in the way we live in the marketplace. If in fact we are truly born again, redeemed followers of Jesus Christ. It stands out. And when you see it, you don't forget it. This week, I know of a man that was writing, comes to Grace Community Church. He wrote a note to his father who walked out on him in 2009. Left the family, left his mom, left the family there. And he knew, he knew. He said, he knew that he had to write this letter because he, he, he wanted to be free and that's what second mile Christians. So he formulated this letter and he let some other people know. And so this letter is going to his father who left the family, who has moved on, moved away, who basically rejected and left them there. This young man who's his son, who's now a young adult, wrote this letter. Can you imagine what that's going to be like for that dad when he receives that in the mail this week? Open up this piece, this letter from his son, who he knows he's rejected, who he knows he's let down. And on the other side of this letter comes from the son and says, I forgive you, dad. Listen to me, Grace. That's second mile stuff. This guy isn't doing it because he has to. He's doing it because he willingly wants to. And that will stand out in the crowd and in the marketplace. Jesus said, that's the kind of Christian's that we should be. We should stand out. You know that to be true. How often do we, or do we appreciate the fact that Jesus doesn't base his love on, to us on how we live for him? Seriously, imagine that. Well, I'm going to love you as much as you love me. Think about that for a second. None of us would be loved. Romans 8, chapter 38, or verse 38 and 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There is nothing we can do that will separate us from the love of God. Aren't you glad for that today? 
But Jesus says that's the kind of love that we need to exude from our lives. We don't love people because they do something for us. We don't have a collection. Well, I, I really love these friends because you know what? We, we, we're good together. And, and you know what? You know, when I need to go out, my husband and I need to go out, they watch my kids. I like those people because you know what? I know they will watch my kids and I'll watch their kids. It's not a trading love. It's not like, well, when I'm away, they mow my grass. I like those people. I got to hold on to them because that means when I, they're away, I'll mow their grass. There's not this reciprocated love. It means, you know what, if you mow their grass, you're not expecting for them to mow your grass. And so how do you choose your friends? How do you choose who you love? Jesus said, you need to love like, like the, un, the most unlovable person in the world that would never be able to return anything back to you. In fact, he says, even the pagans love that way. Well, I'll love you since you're going to give me something. Even the tax collectors love that kind of way. Jesus reminded us there, there's got to be evidence. If there's not evidence, then you have to ask the question, are you a true follower of Christ? None of us like to have standards of measure. We don't like being measured. We don't like being held accountable. We don't like, like seeing if we're measuring up. None of us like when something's brought out that determines where we re- we're really at. Take, for instance, how often do you love when someone would pull out, invite you over and say, hey, let's weigh everybody. Seriously, would you love have that? Your friend calls you over and they bring the scale out and, hey, let's all come up and we'll write it down on this whiteboard in the kitchen. How many of you just love when a scale comes out and you get really determined there's evidence where you're at physically? No one does, unless you're in this free second mile where you're walking in freedom and you're just like, I don't care, here, go ahead, I'm free. But when you're walking in the first mile where there's congestion and gridlock and you're checking off lists only, you don't like to, be, to have a standard. And Jesus is saying, there's got to be evidence. There's got to be a scale. There's got to be a minimum requirement. But you need to move beyond that scale. And that's what he's saying here. This would be an interesting question for Jesus if we were able to find out. If he looked across the masses today at Grace Community, in the main, the link, and all three services, and we let him pick second mile Christians. Because <laughs> there's evidence. <laughs> he's, he's, he... he He's, he, he knows exactly what it takes. I mean, he adds it up. How many of us would fall way short of being a second mile Christian? It's the second mile Christians that turn the world's eyes towards Jesus because it's different. Why would you do that for me? I've never done anything for you. Why would you love me when I left you and your mom and your brothers and your sisters? Why would you forgive me? Because I want to. Because I've been forgiven by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. And so Jesus is raising the bar, moving these Pharisees who just only checked off listed. It's time to move beyond that. You need that, but you need to move beyond that. You see, he was speaking to some Pharisees here who had lived their entire lives as first mile people, only doing what was expected. Nothing more, nothing less never going above the call of duty. You know, this same passage is is referred to in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. It's where we get the golden rule. Do to others what you want them to do for you. I memorized it in the King James. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, think of all the times you say this. 
This is how that plays out. Have you ever said this? And then you have many, many times. Boy, I wish someone would do that for me. Did you hear about so-and-so and they got that and that person did this for them and they went over there and they got that and boy, I wish someone would do that for me and rub my shoulders. How many times? It's when you say those things, boy, I wish someone would do that for me. It's those things that you should be doing for others. The very things that you want done for you, Jesus is saying, do it for others, even if you don't get it back. Imagine a world of Christians like that. Seriously, imagine that. You want advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ and push back darkness? Do for others what you want them to do for you. The world doesn't know what to do with that kind of love and grace. Why are you doing that? Because I've been loved and saved and blessed and I have this incredible relationship with this forgiving, graceful, merciful God. I just cannot not give it back. Then Jesus says this. He moves on and in verse 48, he closes this out with this. So imagine you're sitting here and they're already like, man, I got to walk another mile with a Roman and you mean I got to turn my cheek and let them insult me again and spit in my face and blah, 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 blah. And they're, you know, they're in gridlock. They're like in gridlock. And then Jesus says this in verse 48. Be what? What's the word? Perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is what? Perfect. Come on. And when you're sitting there, you're sitting there. What? Did he just say that? Perfect? Holy cow, I got to walk another mile. I mean, how can I be? I mean, at that point, you're like, I can't even be a Christian any longer. Just white flag. I, I give up, Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, how can we be perfect? Jesus, you don't know what I've been through. Jesus, you don't know what I got to go home to. Jesus, you don't know where I work at. Jesus, you don't, you don't, you don't. Jesus said, be perfect. Therefore, as your father God is perfect. Now, I know the translation of the word perfect, teleos, it's, it's, it's the, the Greek word. And a lot of people say, well, that's often translated mature. Not in this case. We don't look at our father and say, be perfect, be, be mature like God is mature. We say, be perfect like a perfect heavenly father without sin who sent his son who had no sin. Because if there wasn't a perfect father and a perfect son, then we would never be radically changed <laughs> and the redemption would be no good. But he says, be perfect. So how do you do that? It's like, I suspect when they heard that, they were like, did he just say perfect? <laughs> did he say almost perfect? Did he say like most of the time? No, he says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. As if it wasn't enough already. By the way, it is utterly impossible to do this on our own power. Impossible to be perfect because we're having old sin nature. Then why would Jesus demand the impossible from us? Why would he say be perfect if it's impossible for us to be perfect? I know they asked that question because there were some Pharisees there. Okay, then how do you do that? Give me another list. What else do I got to add? What does he mean by this? But then you got to take into context Matthew 19, 26. It says, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That which God demands, he provides power to accomplish. So what does that mean to be perfect? I mean, that means that it's possible for us to be perfect. You see, what he's saying in all these things is this. I just talked about things that seem impossible and you didn't think you could do it. 
But if you walk in my power and not in your own power, guess what? You can do this. You can turn your cheek. You can walk that X mile, not based upon your own power, but in the power of a perfect God, you can walk in, in the righteousness that you are covered with. You can walk a lot differently than what you're walking right now, not on your own, but with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Jesus is saying here, this is what I believe he's saying. I will not lower my standards to accommodate humans. Instead, he set forth his absolute holiness as a standard. That's what we strive towards. By the way, we will never be entirely perfect until we have our redeemed bodies. First John 3, 2 says, we will be as he is. And when we have been resurrected into heaven, then we're perfect. But the standard is to be perfect. Work towards that. You don't think you can do this? Work towards it. It's possible with God, not by yourself. And these are the kind of acts that give evidence that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, a true second mile Christian. So I ask this question today. I ask it in the first service. I'll ask it again to us. Personal, this is a personal question. Ask yourself this question. Am I proof that God is who he says he is? Am I proof? Is my life proof that God is who he says he is? that grace can truly change a heart. Do I live like God's love is real? When people see me, do they see you, God? That's the whole point. So Jesus is saying the reason you do these things is not to bring attention to yourself. The reason we're living this way in the second mile is so that others find something that's drastically and instinctively different in the way people respond and they say, what up with that? And they are pointed to Jesus Christ. It's letters written that are very hard to a father that neglected and let someone down, but said, I forgive you because Christ forgave me. That's second mile. That's what will turn the world around in a second and point them to Jesus Christ. God, help us today. I pray, God, that we would examine our lives and we would ask ourselves this question. Has my heart truly been changed? Is there evidence that you are who you say you are? And when others look at me, do they find you, God? Spirit, I pray in this moment that you would go into those corners of our hearts, the patterns that we live with, the habits that shape us, the philosophies that direct us. And I pray, God, that you would hone them in, that you would sharpen them up, that you would get rid of the chaff, and God, you would make us more like you. And I pray, God, that we would become second-mile Christians. Not first-mile, but second-mile Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.